Good morning, Genesis. It's time for us to go ahead and get started. If you would stand, let's worship together. We'll worship this morning, we'll pray together. Let's have a good time. So let's sing together. Oh 
more time, church. you are good. Lord, thank you for saving us, for redeeming us, Lord, as we continue to worship you, God. I pray that you would do a real work in our hearts, God. Lord, that you would soften us, take our hardness away. Let us focus on you. Let us focus on who you are, what you've done for us this morning. We can sing out of love and joy. And that these words would truly mean something coming from our mouths. That we would think about the words, that they would be worshiped to us, God. So, Lord, we thank you for who you are. Let's continue to worship.
morning in our time of prayer of confession I'm going to read a prayer of you guys it's an old prayer from Martin Luther so I want you to reflect to listen maybe close your eyes and posture yourself in a way that you can focus after I read it I'm going to give you a minute to reflect and then we're going to continue singing together through the song if you are still praying feel free to stay in that posture you don't have to stand if you are ready to stand when we sing, you can. Behold, Lord, I am an empty vessel that needs to be filled. My Lord, fill it. I am weak in the faith. Strengthen me. I am cold in love. Warm me and make me fervent that my love may go out to my neighbor. Do not have a strong and firm faith. At times I doubt and am unable to trust you altogether. Oh Lord, help me. Strengthen my faith and trust in you. In you I have sealed the treasure of all I have. I am poor. You are rich and came to be merciful to the poor. I am a sinner. You are upright. With me, there is an abundance of sin. In you is the fullness of righteousness. Therefore, I will remain with you, of whom I can receive, but to whom I may not give. Lord, thank you for who you are, for being merciful to us, God.
life become And the road ahead gets steep I will lift these hands and feet I will I remind myself of all that you've done In the life I have because of your son
mountain high and valley low, I sing out and remind my soul that I am yours, I am forever yours. Lord, how amazing it is to know that no matter what we do, Lord, that we are yours that you have saved us, you've sealed us with the Holy Spirit. And that your promises are true, God. And that we can sing songs like this that say that we are yours, we are forever yours, God. Lord, let that truth be truth inside of us. Let us truly believe that you have saved us and that you hold us secure, God. It's by nothing we can do. Lord, you are good and loving, God. Amen. You can remain standing for the reading of God's word. Our reading this morning is John 6, 35 through 59. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, 
he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. This is God's word. You may be seated. Thank you for joining us this morning at Genesis Community Church. My name's Hans. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. We have been in a uh, long journey thus far through the Gospel of John. We are going to continue it in the coming months. I don't have it all mapped out, but it's going to be a while, so just get comfortable. If you aren't already, uh, figure it out. Figure out how to get comfortable, because we're only in chapter 6. We'll finish chapter 6 next week, Um, I think. Yeah, I think we finish it next week. Or close to it. Now we have here in today's passage something interesting. A lot of things going together at the same time. And so what we're going to do is, is go, let's, let's remember a main thing and then let's pull the other pieces, right, off of that. Because if not, we're, if we're not careful, we go down all kinds of rabbit trails. We go, what about this? What about this? Your community groups are for the rabbit trails. You have well-equipped leaders who are more than happy to talk to you about all the other things that you want to talk about that aren't in the passage but could be related to it. Uh, so we're, gonna, we're not going to fly at a high level. We're going to stay really close to the text today, but just recognize there'll probably be some things where you just go, ah, oh, man, you know, we could talk about how these things relate or how those things relate. We're going to try and get to all of them. Uh, for some of you, this is going to be like first-time exposure uh, where you just go, I haven't really thought about that before. And for others of you, this is like what you live in. You're like, oh, yeah, give me more. So we'll see where we are. But first, I want to just ask you this question that, Many people ask, I'm sure you answered it even in the past week or two, which is this, how's life? How's life? It's like the constant filler question that we give to people. How's life? How you doing? How you feeling? How are things? That's the one I usually ask. How are things? What's going on? Uh, what's been the best thing? What's been the worst thing? How do, you, how do you get through life? We have all these ways we talk about life and probably ways that we respond. And now, I'm all for cultural pleasantries. I get it. Right? Like we're trying to be kind, we say hello, we're, how are you doing? We don't really expect someone to tell us how they're doing. We just expect them to reply with fine. It's not that they're lying, it's that they understand the script. They understand, hey, how are you? I'm fine, good, great, have a great day, you too, let's go. Right? It's all of those things are just a part of how we often operate together. And if somebody ever breaks the script and they go, how are you doing? And you're like, miserable. You're kind of like... I wasn't ready for that, and I also don't have time. So can we, can we just go back in time and you just say good, and you can work out the not doing well somewhere else or with someone else. So we have that. How's your life? How are things? What's going on? How's your, uh, I, I use the question we've talked about before. How's your walk with God? How's your walk? You're like, I don't know. I hobbled probably. Like my gait? What do you mean? But I would say that most of us, we can define life as like, how are we doing? But we don't often define life as who we know. And, and in Jesus' bread of life discourse, which is today, we get, we get Jesus telling us where life comes from. <clears throat> how do we actually have life? 
How do we find life? Now, I understand. When we say just life, it could mean how, you, how are you doing? How are things going today? But when we talk about life in the Gospel of John, we are talking about eternal life, eternal satisfaction, being right with God. How is life? Do you have life? And it doesn't just mean energy, right? Like somebody full of life. Because eternal life, we'll see today, is something that comes from God, held together by God, given by God. And so we have, again, the phrase, I am the bread of life. Jesus says it twice. I am the bread of life. And what we'll do today is we'll just go, what does this mean? (laughs) What does it mean that Jesus is the bread of life? Because bread for us, it's not even really a staple food anymore. Like you can or may may or may not eat bread. Um, You may or may not like bread. So we go bread. Bread was sustenance. It was how people got by. Give us this day our daily bread wasn't just, you know, for us, we've, we're even preaching through it, we talk about it as language with regard to, like, our every need. Meet our every need today. Which is true. But the reason Jesus uses even the language, give us our daily bread and teaching us how to pray, is because everyone understood. You need, you, you need bread to survive. you got to eat. And he just fed thousands upon thousands of people Bread. And now he's, now he's now flipping it to, I am bread, which is weird. Hello, I am bread. Like, you don't, you don't do that. So what, what do you mean, I am the bread of life? That's what we're going to see today. I am the bread of life. And, and what does it mean? And really, we're, we're gonna, I'm going to do this in three ways. Way number one is uh, with regard to satisfaction. What really satisfies That's the first thing we'll talk about. The second thing we'll talk about is uh, with regard to salvation. So satisfaction, salvation. And that's gonna, we're gonna spend more time there because there's a lot of statements that Jesus says with regard to salvation right there in the middle. And then we'll just end with, you know, as it pertains to us. So our satisfaction, our salvation, and then then so what? What does that what does this mean? Jesus is the bread of life. This is one of the I am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. Now you might, you might be familiar, now you're hearing this, I am something, I am, I am, I am the resurrection of the life, it's coming up. We'll probably even refer to it on Easter, I am. So we see Jesus giving these ideas, and with regard to satisfaction, Jesus being the bread of life means he satisfies our eternal cravings. Our eternal cravings. Verse 35, right from the beginning. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Which is interesting because eating bread often makes you thirsty. But he's not just talking about bread. He's talking about himself. I am the bread of life. So whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not, first, uh, shall not thirst. This sounds similar, if you've been with us at all in the Gospel of John, this sounds similar to what Jesus said to the woman at the well, woman in Samaria. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you 
living water. He says again, John 4, 13, everyone who drinks from this water, that would be the water from the actual physical well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So we've already heard Jesus use food or drink language to explain something that he provides that is more significant than food or drink. And we've talked about how we're Americans and we like food. We like food. If I asked you for a, re- a recommendation, you'd give me one. You probably wouldn't give me the Lord. You wouldn't Jesus do that. You'd be like, oh, well, the best food you can find is the bread of life. Like that's just, It would feel weird if you said that, but at the same time, it is totally true. It is, it is eternally true that Jesus is the most satisfying person. He is more satisfying than your marriage. He is more satisfying than your family. He is more satisfying than your job or your bank account. He is more satisfying than your status or your Instagram followers. He is more satisfying than the accolades that you receive or don't receive. He is more satisfying than good grades. He is more satisfying than a full gas tank, which is a little hard to come by right now, it sometimes feels. He is more satisfying than everything. All the ways we find satisfaction, Jesus is saying, right from the beginning of this discourse, anyone who comes to me will never be hungry. Well, what kind of hunger? What kind of hunger? Because I'm kind of hungry right now. Anybody else? Anybody else hungry right now? Yeah, I have a kid who basically, it's like you eat lunch, and it's like, I'm hungry. And you just go, we just did this, not 30 minutes ago. You're hungry again? What is happening? Yeah, everyone knows. If you know my family, you know who it is, too. Every time. And this is where we have to realize that as we've seen throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus is speaking about a spiritual reality that everyone around him is just kind of being dumb toward because they don't get it. What do you mean? I will never be hungry. Or as the woman in the well said in John chapter 4, what do you mean I'll never? I want that water. We had the crowds just say to him last week, give us this bread always. This bread that that always is around, it's always, give us that bread. He is speaking about your eternal life with God. If you come to me, you will never be hungry again. We'll speak more about salvation in a moment, but that is a promise of salvation that lasts. It doesn't get taken away from you. Your every need for a right relationship with God, or I say a right life with God, is met through Jesus. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. And this language is reminiscent of even Old Testament language. Things that are said before about people able to come to God and, and find satisfaction. Isaiah 55.1 is one such reference, which says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Come to God and get what you need. Come, all, come to God and get what you need. And so all of this together, I am the bread of life. Whoever eats or whoever comes to me will not hunger. Whoever uh, is, is, believes in me will not thirst. What does it mean? 
it means, and this is hard for us to realize, it means that you have an absolute unquenchable emptiness inside of you. You cannot fix it and you cannot fill it. It must be filled for you. It can't happen yourself. And many of us spend our lives trying to satisfy what really is an eternal longing to be right, to be made right. And so what we do is what all of us do is, is we just try to bring down that, that longing that just can't seem to be satisfied. We try to bring it down enough levels that we can feel like we can ascend to it. Or we define this emptiness, this hollowness that we might even feel, this need that we have to be made right with God, freed of our sin, freed of just how, honestly, just how bad we are. We have this, but what we'll do is we'll try to diminish what that means and use language that we've talked about before, which is like, well, everybody has problems. Everybody, you know, no, nobody's perfect. Well, that in and of itself betrays the fact that we get it. Nobody's, per- yeah, no one, no one around here is. Just one. But the very fact that, well, I want to ask you this. Why do we even articulate language about, about fullness and emptiness, not being where we should? Where should you be? Where did that even language come from? Why don't you just walk around going, I'm totally fine being terrible doesn't bother me at all. I have no need. I have no desires. This is just how life works. Right? But, but most of us, even in this room, we're not that fatalistic. It's like we recognize something is wrong. And, and, we, and we gravitate toward stories or song or movie that also seem to be able to articulate that. Why? Well, one of the reasons is because we're, we're trying to diagnose what's going on in us, but if we don't reach back to how we were originally created, then we don't, have, we don't really have the, the gauge or the baseline for why where we are is wrong. If why where we are is wrong, it might be because we're just measuring ourselves up against somebody else. But it might be because you've tried every road and you've tried every solution and you have not found your soul satisfied. And the reason for that is because we were made to be with God. We were made for it. Of all the creatures created... Man was made in the image of God. Of all the creatures created, we sinned and created that separation. And it is so significant, the chasm so far, so deep, that we cannot, as much as we might try, we cannot make it right. You can't close the gap of eternity. It takes God. Which is where we get, right? Pertaining to satisfaction, 
that Jesus is the bread of life and he satisfies our eternal cravings, but then pertaining to our salvation, I'm going to use a, a statement here and then we'll look at the passage to, to, to get this idea together. Now hear me, hear me here. He saves those whom the Father draws. Now go with me. He saves them. Who the, that, that's language from the text. But there's going, to be, there's going to be two things going on here. That the Father is drawing people and people are believing in the Father. And, and there's never language that I have found in John which says, and he forced them to believe. Okay? There's never language that says, and God forced them to believe something. It's about drawing people to him. Or leaving people to their sin. Not about saying, hey, you will look at this and you will like it. Right? Drawing is the language that we see. Calling is the language that is given. So that's he saves those whom the Father draws, but those whom the Father draw also believe. That is not passive. It is active. So let's look at this as it pertains to salvation. Because remember, he's in a synagogue and he's speaking to a group of people who like that he gives them food. Seems pretty cool. Got a free meal out of Jesus and hopefully I can get some more. And so they're listening to him, but they really don't believe he is who he says he is. They've even said to him already, why don't you prove it? What works will you do that will help us to believe you are who you are? And he begins to speak. And teach on this. So listen to what we see in verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It, it is written in the prophets, and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father, which is a reference about himself. I've seen the Father, you have not. Say, so if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But the Father's drawing people. The Father's active in salvation as well. We'll see next week as this finishes up that Jesus even speaks of the Spirit and what the Spirit does. And the words I speak are spirit and life and the activity of the Spirit in salvation as well. Now, again, just to go to that, and they will be taught by God, we see this idea back in Isaiah Isaiah 54, 13 says, All your children shall be taught by the Lord, and great shall be the peace of your children. We're going to talk about things pertaining to salvation, those whom the Father draws. No one can come unless the Father draws them. So the first thing we're going to see here is that salvation would be, it's a lot of things, you can use a lot of words for it, but if we're using this discourse, it's going to be talking about the bringing from death to life. Bringing dead people, making them alive. Fundamentally, as we're in John 6, that's what we see. For this is the will of my Father, verse 40, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. That's how the discourse ends. If you believe, you have life. Now, this is hard for us because we love to create barriers to belief. 
or we look at certain behaviors and we go, those behaviors don't line up with somebody who believes, which is a really hard thing for us to actually be able to say, right? Because somebody's behaviors, we go, That's a, a Christian wouldn't talk like that. A Christian wouldn't act like that. A Christian wouldn't watch things like that. And we're really just speaking from our own conviction in those moments, aren't we? We're kind of saying, I don't think you should, which is a totally different conversation, right? Done graciously, it's a conversation about what might be prudent, what might be wise in a moment, what's helpful, what's beneficial, what helps us grow, what gives our thoughts and attention to the Lord. But when we start to use language like a Christian should or a Christian shouldn't or no Christian that I know would, what are we doing? We're making salvation about human behavior. And what do we see in John 6? That salvation is about God's gracious activity towards us, drawing us to him. And so when we lean too heavily into you should or you shouldn't or do this, don't do that, too heavily into that, not that sanctification does not have, I would say, expectations of holiness. But when we say, oh, you can't be a Christian and have this kind of behavior, we're missing it. Because how does Jesus define it? Who believes in him, the Son, should have eternal life? Whoever believes has eternal life. This is so important for us to recall because as Christians, people who follow Jesus, who have believed in him, we start to create laws for ourselves and for one another. And we make salvation sometimes seem so unattainable because we don't make it about trusting Jesus. We really do combine sanctification as we have defined it and justification as the scriptures have defined it and kind of make this our view of what a good Christian does or doesn't do. It's very difficult for us to call people to repentance when we're already dissatisfied with who they are. So salvation is bringing them from death to life through belief. Now, it's interesting because we're in John, and we have to remember that chronologically, as Jesus is saying this in the synagogue at Capernaum, he hasn't died for them. He hasn't died for them, okay? Like, in, in the timeline. So he's speaking about things that will be true as they pertain to salvation, because remember, just as truly as God has spoken, it has happened. He's never inconsistent. He never lies. And so when he begins to speak about feeding in a moment, feeding on his flesh or drinking his blood, he's speaking about something he will do that will demonstrate everything he has said is true. So salvation, bringing them from death to life through belief in Jesus, the work of the Son, the one sent from the Father. Now, there's an as it pertains to salvation, there is also, as it pertains to security, okay? And this is interesting because this is one that we kind of, some of us might waffle on. Verse 36, I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So 
a lot of things happening right underneath this kind of banner. I'm calling it security, but a lot of things happening. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks in the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up. Now, then we get to the response. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They look at Jesus and they say, you're just a man, man. I'm the bread that came down from heaven, he says. And they go, is this not Jesus? The son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know he does, he does he now, how does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered, don't grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Okay, so there's a, there's, there's a lot here in, as we're in this idea of salvation and security and how God moves and how God acts. I'm going to hold on to a, a few things. First, God's action in drawing people to himself cannot be denied. It cannot be denied. God is the drawer. And this is why such an idea is important for us. Because if you if you don't hold to that, then fundamentally you're going to hold to something inherent within you that predisposed you to loving God. You're going to keep getting something you did or some way you lived or something that you, you know, just some kindness that you had that's going to set you apart from the rest of the losers who really, if they just paid a little more attention, would do the same thing. And you'll see sometimes, like, even the, even the crowds are trying to separate themselves from Jesus, like they know better. Wait, aren't, aren't you, we know your mom and dad. I went to school with your dad. That kind of stuff that people will throw your way, Right? I changed your brother James's diapers. You don't need to tell me this kind of stuff. Who are are you to tell me about where life is found? We know your whole crew. So they're coming coming with their own confidence about what's right and what's wrong and what's up and what's down and left and right and what's true and what's not and who has life and who doesn't. They're coming with their own set of confidences about how God works. And they're trying to call Jesus out and say, you don't know. We know you. What gives you the right to say these things? Which is funny because he really does, in a sense, just put it back in their face and and say, if you don't believe this, the Father's not drawing you right now. Like, why are you grumbling? If you believed it, you'd be believing in me. No one can come to the Father unless he draws him. Which is is a terrible offense, which is where it's going to get when the passage ends tomorrow or next week where he explains why people leave and why people stay. And it's an act of God. It's an act of God. And, and sometimes we do feel, and I understand this because I've been there, sometimes we feel like God being the first mover in our salvation is, is controlling or manipulative or wrong. But what we see in the Bread of Life discourse is that God has to be the first mover. Jesus is doing a few things. He's aligning himself with his Father's will. I only do what the Father has shown me. 
and I, and I say those the Father draws, or those, right, those, those who are drawn are saved, and those who are saved are kept. If those who were saved are not kept, then Jesus is a pretty powerless Savior. Because then what does salvation become about me, right? I'm, kinda, I'm out, I'm in. I'm out, I'm in. It's all me. And Jesus is waiting there going, I really hope that when you die, you're, you're still in. And so this is God's, I'll say, benevolent act to draw. The issues that we have with the idea of God drawing are rather man-centered. <clears throat> because we're going to make it an issue of fairness. But when we make it an issue of fairness, what have we just done? Determined who doesn't, doesn't. Like who's, I don't know who God's going to draw. Right? He might be, like, I, don't, I don't know. You don't know. The men, women, and children God is saving. The people who maybe now, even in this moment, are going, maybe there's something to Jesus. You don't know that. And so how, how self-righteous of us, how arrogant of us, to determine God's fairness based upon an incomplete knowledge of what he is doing throughout eternity. And yet we're going to show up on the scene and complain and grumble about what doesn't seem fair. And I'll tell you something that's not fair. Me being saved. That's not fair. The Apostle Paul would even say, I would, I would trade me, his salvation, for his people Israel believing in the Messiah. I would make that trade, but it's not his trade to make. It's not his trade to make. And so can we... Be confused, sure. Can we, can we question? Can we wonder? Can we go, how does this work? Why is this best? I don't understand. All fine. Where we get into trouble is when we start to see it and go, how dare he? Because that somehow makes us in the position of authority over God who created us. How, how dare we do that? And so those whom the Father draws are Saved, those who are saved are kept. And the fact that they are kept demonstrates Jesus' power in the entire thing. Something that the crowds were unwilling to accept. If those who were saved were somehow then lost, it would demonstrate that Jesus either isn't obedient to his father, got some problems there, if the son is the Son who is God is disobedient to the Father who is God. Or he somehow doesn't have the power to do what has, he has been entrusted to do. If he's disobedient to his Father or he's impotent to do what has been asked, what, has, what, what he was sent into this world to do, then he is somehow less than the Savior that we need. And if that is the case... Move along. You don't need to be here right now. Because why do we worship a Savior who can't be a Savior? Why would we do that? 
No reason for us to be here. We're just playing games. There are 10 million other places that you would be and have more fun than in this space right now if Jesus isn't who Jesus said he was and not doing what the scriptures say he is doing. You know, I can get another job, friends. I hope. (laughs) Next week's going to be 12 people here. Well, pastor said we didn't have to go. So why does, why does it matter that God draws? Answer that. Why does it matter that God draws? Because we don't know our need. John has demonstrated time and time again, we are living in darkness. We don't believe. We hear Jesus say, I'm the bread of life. And we go, where can I buy that food? What restaurant sells it? We respond like the crowds. We are, we are dense and we are dumb. And so it takes the Lord saying, we will be taught by God. It takes the Lord revealing our need and Jesus as our solution. That's what it takes. Because I would never get there. I would never get there. As much as I would like to think that I am cool enough or smart enough or witty enough or thoughtful enough to get there, I won't get there. But God is gracious. Why does security matter? Because if we say that salvation is a work of God, the whole of it is a work of God. Not just the front part. If he's only powerful enough to save us but not to keep us, how in the world is he powerful enough to resurrect us, which is also promised in this passage? If he can only save but not keep, then how can he resurrect? He is either the author of all of it or none of it. Not just parts of it. And that's what we have here. So, at the same time, What's my role? Belief. You can't not believe and be a Christian. And I mean believe in what Jesus, who Jesus is, what Jesus has done. There will be times of unbelief. There will be times of doubt. There will be times of struggle. Absolutely. But as God draws, right, we still, I mean, it's an, it's an active verb here. We believe. And one thing that we have to do as Christians is just be comfortable with that. Be comfortable with the fact that God draws, God saves, we believe in God saves. Right? You know, I believe all the Father, you know, whoever, whoever believes in me is saved. And whoever is saved is the person the Father draws. I don't try and line that thing out, right? Make it fit on the wordle. I don't do that thing. I'm very happy comfortable recognizing that God moves in salvation to draw us to him and that we believe. And I'm very comfortable saying anyone who believes has been drawn. Anyone who believes has been drawn. Who trusts in the Messiah. That's an act of God. It's a work of God. 
And that's the intensity of John 6. At this pivotal moment of Jesus' ministry where thousands upon thousands upon thousands are listening to him who want to follow him, the back half of John 6, what we'll get to next week, they call the crowds his disciples. And then, they, and then John separates out the 12 from the disciples. right? Disciples as being those who are following, listening, trying to understand. And most of them just peace out. They just leave him. And he has no problem with it because he knows what he has come to do and he knows his father's draws. And so he's not going, wait, 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 come back, come back, come back, let me rephrase it. What I meant to say was, no, none of that. As people leave and say, this is hard. Essentially says, yeah, it is hard. He saves, we're secure, he resurrects. This happens a couple of times, we just have to hold this in regard to salvation. Right? It, it, we have that kind of the initial moment of salvation. We have the preservation of our lives, the, the security element of our salvation as we walk in this world. And we have the resurrection, the future salvation. And all of these are are ways the word salvation can be understood. Our salvation on the last day is us being with our God, resurrected with him. That we're looking forward to that salvation, that moment where we are with him. And our salvation where we are forgiven of our sins, right? Again, the whole thing. So as we come to him, as we walk with him, and when we are resurrected to be with him, all held together by God. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The whole thing held together by a gracious God. How do I live? I often live like this. Everyone who looks on the sun and believes should have eternal life, and then they got to work real hard to be sure they keep eternal life so that they might be raised up on the last day. I have to be sure I now do, do all the scales right so that on the last day I'm with him. i got to get it right. That's not the language that we see in John 6.40. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Because salvation is God's work. Not my work. It is God's work. It is what he's bearing out. It's what he's doing. And so, he, he finishes with this odd language that, that sounds a little bit like cannibalism if you're a crowd. It, I mean, like, they, like they, they are not for cannibalism. I don't, I don't think anybody else in this room is either. And so that's the tension, though, is they're hearing him, and they would have, the, the, speaking of feasting on someone's flesh and drinking someone's blood is offensive. It's offensive. And he uses his most provocative language to weed out the people who are just there for a meal which is like the opposite church growth strategy. 
He does the reverse of what we're supposed to tell people things that they like, keep them here, get them giving, you know, give them enough relationships they don't want to go, give their kids cool things. So that they, like, we're supposed to, it's, the, it's the reverse. So as he's growing in popularity, he's like, you know how I could crush this? Watch this metaphor. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. I would probably leave too. Okay, uh, that's enough. That's enough. I don't, I don't want to play this game anymore. This is getting weird. Right? I mean, imagine being the youth who comes home from youth group and you're like, Mom and Dad, we talked about eating Jesus' flesh and drinking his blood. It was great. You're like, you're not going to that church anymore your last trip to that synagogue. I don't know what they're teaching there. I don't know what's going on, but you are not welcome there. Jesus doesn't stop. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds, I'm saying, he doesn't stop. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Man, it's like you're sweating as you just read it. Well, the first thing he does in verses 49 through 51, as he's going to talk about us and that he's the bread we must feast on, is that he says, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. And he's essentially in that, that's from Exodus 17, but essentially saying in that, that he's superior to the bread that they ate. He's superior. They died. This same idea is used to speak of Jesus and his resurrection when David's writing about, you know, it's it, it like this, I'm going to live forever overtones or like, like, like the <clears throat> resurrection overtones and, and the apostles use it to be like, David said that and David died. So it's not about David, it's about Jesus, the one who was resurrected. Jesus is saying, your fathers ate manna, they died. He's highlighting in this his superiority, the superiority of his bread. What he offers. He's superior to the manna. He is sent from above. <clears throat> and this is the thing. Why speak about flesh and blood and flesh and blood? Because where is John headed? The Son of Man lifted up on the cross. A broken body, spilled blood for our sins. That in and of itself is an offense. We'll speak more about the things that are offensive in this message next week. Why do people walk away from Jesus? What is so hard about what he teaches? But that language is so vivid in part because his crucifixion is. He was beaten and bloodied and died for us. On him was the punishment that brought us peace. 
and by his wounds we are healed. Some people take this and, 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 and find strong uh, Eucharistic or communion elements. And they'll, and they'll say something about what happens in communion, perhaps because of what Jesus is saying here. But Jesus is speaking in such a way to go, all who, he's speaking about believing in him, being drawn to him. And so the, the feasting on him in this kind of language are those who are drawn and who believe. Those who believe and recognize his sacrifice for their sins. The necessary God-ordained sacrifice that we might be forgiven. That all who eat my flesh and drink my blood, as Jesus says that, means all who understand and trust in his sacrifice for their forgiveness. Because his body broken is the brokenness we need. His blood shed is the shed blood that we need for our life to be made right with God for eternity. For every longing, eternal longing to be satisfied. That is what we get in Jesus, the bread of life. The one upon whom we must believe. The one in whose sacrifice we must trust, who gave himself, that we might have life. Not just a good day. Not even just a good week or a good month or a good year or a good decade, but a good eternity. There is only one who offers that. Jesus. May we trust him, remember him, believe in him, delight in him, feast on him as our Savior. Because we have no other. We have no other. Can you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that even, even now, even in this moment, you are drawing people. I pray, Lord, that you are working, you're active, and sins are being revealed, need is being seen, and Jesus is realized as the solution. I pray, Father, that you do this in our church. I pray, Father, that you do this in our neighborhoods and in our workplaces, that, that people would see their need that comes from you and that you would place the believers here in this room in spaces where they can speak about Jesus the bread of life, the one who satisfies, the one who is truly good. Father, we confess that at times we will be arrogant or self-righteous or assume who is or who isn't drawn, that somehow we know what you're working out and we don't. 
So forgive us of that. And might we enthusiastically and optimistically and joyfully consider anyone around us, one you might be drawing even in this moment, pointing them to our gracious and loving Savior who forgives our sins, who died for our sins. We praise you for that. Fix our eyes upon Jesus. Set our hearts and our joy and our satisfaction upon Jesus. We need this, Lord. More than food, more than drink, more than a good week. We need Jesus. We pray it in his name. Amen. And so we are about to go to the table, communion, to remember the work of Jesus for us. Communion in Genesis is available for all who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus. If that is not you this morning, then we would just ask for you to stay where you are. Consider him. Consider what he has done for you. All in this room who are saved were far from God and brought near through Christ. And so in just a moment, you're free to come up, grab a stack, and one of our elders, Rock, is going to bring us to the taking of the elements together. So just hold on to them. Consider your Lord who offered himself for you and to you as life. Father, we do remember that this is your work. Thank you 
is through Christ we speak. Amen. Not much to be said about that. Let's just partake of the Lord's Supper and remember he's the one who came down from heaven. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat. In the, <clears throat> in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink. As often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. If you would stand, let's sing together. That's what to do, and I will. Love. 
Hallelujah. that forever all of our days that we would love you that we would glorify you God and we thank you for your word this morning for what you've taught us you are good God amen amen I want to share a few opportunities for you as we head into the month of April uh, first is just a reminder of Easter festivities. We spoke last week about our Jesus in the Passover event that's going to be this Saturday evening, so you're still free to sign up for that. There's over 30 people signed up, so we're loaded up. Make Brad work. He wants it. So, you know, if we can get 50, 60, 70 there. Also that morning, be in prayer for our ministry at, uh, through Apartment Life with what Charisma's doing there. Egg hunt we're going to do there versus having an egg hunt here and seeing if people will show up. We'll just go there and do it where they already live. So be in prayer for that. If you are still interested in volunteering, you can talk to me or talk to Matt about ways we could get you involved in the service of that, not just the attendance of that. And then, of course, Good Friday and Easter. So we have Good Friday coming up on the 15th. That will be 6 p.m. here in this room, our Good Friday service, followed by Easter Sunday, which is going to be, of course, that coming Sunday. Uh, and... If you are still curious about baptism, I'd love to talk to you. I know people have said, hey, I'm interested in that, or I'm curious about baptism, and then we, we, like, we wait till like two days before, and then there's a mad dash to try and find everybody and meet with you and talk to you. So if you could get in the queue early, if, that, if you know that's something you're really curious about, that would be a big help, because then we can deploy more people to have conversations versus like getting text, which is what happens most years. Hey, can this happen tomorrow? I'm like, oh gosh, I'm not even, I don't know. Um, so we'd love to talk to you about baptism. If you could help us out by just saying, hey, I'd like to talk to you. Or I'd like you to talk to my son or daughter or whatever. We're going to figure that out. And then, this is in May, but get ready because some of you, like you said, uh, are good cookers. But May 1st, after the service, there's going to be a chili cook-off. Uh, so, yeah, I know, I know. And... Um, so we were talking about bread of life and then, and then pivoting to chili. Um, but 
Yeah, but May 1st after the service, if you look on the Church Center app or check out our calendar from our website, you can then see the sign-up genius to sign up for, like, offering a spot. So that's what I want to let you know early. Uh, with a month to go, but if that's curious, I'm curious if more people will sign up early for that than baptism. We're going to see. Um, it sometimes feels like we're a little more disciplined in food-related ideas than uh, obedience to the Lord. But we'll see um, how that goes. But thank you guys for joining us I am so glad that you're here. Uh, I would love to talk to you as the service ends. I'll be hovering around the back. would love to talk to you. Um, and thanks for joining us. The Lord's good. And we want to remember that every single week. So let's finish out singing praise to him. And let's sing together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Great week. You are dismissed.